The boss of the company had just laid out very clearly the game plan for the next project that everyone was going to be working on. He communicated in a clear enough way that everybody comprehended what it was all about so that each department knew its role that was responsible for successfully hitting its goal and finishing and bringing to completion this project. And then within each department, all of the individuals working in those respective departments knew their specific roles that were necessary in helping their department carry it out and therefore the company achieve success and hit its goal. This was all so clearly communicated to all of the organization that you can imagine the shock when after the boss was done spelling out what the game plan was, one of the employees stood up and said, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're not going to be doing that as long as I'm, I'm working here. I'm not on board with that, that plan. And then sat down. Let me ask you how long you think that employee is going to be working at that company or organization. Not long, right? As you heard the gospel, Jesus could have done much worse than simply fire Peter for his defiant response. Matthew gives us a window into what had Peter all riled up as, as Matthew gives us the explanation of what Jesus' instruction was starting to focus on near the end of his time here on earth. Matthew tells us in verse 21, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Just prior to this, Peter had made a beautiful confession of faith, acknowledging that he knew Jesus was the one. Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, that God had promised to Peter's people throughout generations, from the prophets all the way back to the patriarchs, and even before that. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, that chosen one. And yet, as Jesus was laying out for the disciples how things were going to start playing out, that didn't align very well with Peter's political aspirations, the plans that he had in mind for who Jesus was to be and how he thought he should proceed. And so, in his own mind, Peter had to take drastic measures, which is what explains what happened next in verse 22. Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Now, if we know Peter, this maybe isn't a terrible surprise. We're used to Peter putting his foot in his mouth again and again throughout the Gospels. And he's, he's human. He has a heart. He cares about his, his Jesus, this individual that he had come to know over the course of their ministry together. And so when Jesus talks about suffering and dying, we can understand that that doesn't sit well with Peter. He doesn't want to see his Jesus suffer and die. And yet, it's not entirely a, a noble concern that, that Peter has. In fact, it's really quite selfish. We might even say sinister. And actually, based on Jesus' response to Peter, we'd go a step further than just calling it sinister. We'd call it even satanic. Listen to Jesus 
rebuke of Peter in verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow. You hear words like that out of Jesus' mouth, and maybe your first reaction is to wonder, is this Jesus using that that thing we call hyperbole, as he sometimes does in his teaching, where he uses an extreme example, he exaggerates to really emphasize his point. Is that what was going on here in the case of Jesus' words? Well, no. Peter had other concerns. Peter hadn't just shown himself to to have, again, these noble concerns about a, a friend who was in trouble, but rather, again, satanic concerns here. Satan was using this very intent of Peter to thwart and undermine Jesus' plan for salvation. So no, even though we might be accustomed to this kind of joking between people as as somebody maybe tries to entice you with just another bite of dessert and you say, get behind me, Satan, get away, take it away, I'm not going to fall for it. And we're just joking, but Jesus was not joking. Jesus was deadly serious because Satan is deadly serious. And in that regard, it isn't just this case, but really anything and everything at all that would seek to contradict or undermine or call into question God's plan of salvation is not some innocent, innocuous, harmless thing, but it comes from the evil one himself. And so Jesus explains why this was such a big deal. If you, if you paid attention to Jesus' explanation of what was going to be happening ahead of time, the suffering and the dying and the resurrection, the rising from the dead, do you notice one little word that is not accidental and he repeats it twice? Jesus said, from that time on, he began to explain that he must go to Jerusalem and later that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Not optional. There's no alternative plan that could have been carried out. This was God's plan all the way back once sin was ushered into this world when our parents first fell and all of the sin since then. God's plan was to send his son, the Messiah, to be the lamb and the perfect sacrifice to pay for the sins of all people. That was the only plan. There was no plan B. There's no alternative. This had to happen. This must be the way that it was going to be carried out. And it's just as true today. Anything that undermines or calls into question the gospel is of the evil one. It it contradicts that this must be the only way into a right relationship with God. Whether it's just an outright denial of who Jesus was or claimed to be and all of the Bible's message, Or it's some other religion or teaching that says there's another path, there's another way to get right to God, or here is the way to forgiveness, and here is salvation, and here is eternal life. If it's anything outside of the cross, if it's anything outside of the suffering, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, then it comes from the evil one. So to recognize how serious that is, What is really alarming is when we dig into Jesus' rebuke of Peter. He gets right at where this was coming from. When he calls out Peter, he says, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
That was what Peter was concerned with. He wasn't concerned about God's plans. He wasn't concerned about Jesus' plans. He wasn't concerned about plans that maybe the other disciples had. Peter was only concerned about Peter's plans and seeing that those were going to be carried out as he saw fit. And to understand that threat, the same danger or risk that is in each of us, just as Peter did, to have human concerns, worldly concerns at the forefront instead of God's concerns, helps us understand why Jesus said what he did next about being a disciple. In verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny self and follow me. Why is that so essential? Well, it's as if Jesus is saying, you want to be my follower? You want to be my disciple? That is all well and good. But the first step, job number one that we have to do to make sure that this is going to be uh, carried out, all right, is we have to get rid of the biggest obstacle in the way. And that's you. And that's me. So Jesus says we need to deny self, we need to put aside worldly human concerns, the things that you want and chase after, and get those out of the way because that is one of the easiest platforms for the devil to use to carry out his own insidious purposes. To deny self. One of the most difficult things to do. And I was reminded of why it's such a challenge for us, uh, reviewing a, a book once again as, uh, recently as the author kind of portrayed for us why denying self and really what's at the heart of that is pride, why that's such a challenge for us. He said it this way, pride offers an objection that makes you the exception. Pride offers an objection that makes you the the exception. That's another way of saying what we're really, really good at is finding a way to give ourselves permission to do whatever we want. So while I may be quick to point out, yes, obviously, clearly that's wrong what that person's doing, but in my case, there's an exception. And we're experts at this, aren't we? Yes, sure, I, I, I let my anger get the better of me. I lost my cool. But anybody would have been justified in doing so if you were in the same situation based on what that other person did. And absolutely, I totally agree that that stay-at-home mom who is drinking excessively, absolutely that's wrong, putting her kids at risk. But my job is 100 times more stressful. So when I come home at night and have a few drinks to unwind, it's a totally different thing. We look at, at others and we say, yes, of, of course that's wrong, to, to blatantly walk out of a store with a cart full of things and, and just defy, just refuse to pay for them. Yes, that's absolutely wrong. But when, when I skim a little bit of, of money from the register or help myself, I have every intention of paying that back when things settle down just a little bit. And absolutely it's wrong. No man should ever put his hands on a woman. For any reason whatsoever. However, my relationship is a little bit different and her level of disrespect for me was not okay. See what pride does? It makes an exception for me and you. That's why Jesus was deadly serious 
when he said, here's the only solution to, to pride, he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. We have to die. Pride has to be killed so that it doesn't continue to make those exceptions. In other words, we have to defy and deny self. But you might wonder, well, what happens if we do that? Who's going to look out for me if I actually put what Jesus is saying into practice? If I'm not looking out for self, who is going to be my advocate? Who is going to care for me if I don't? In a world that focuses our attention on the importance of, really above all else, self-care and self-discovery and self-love and self-this and self-that and self-the-list goes on, if I'm not focused on self, who's going to care about me? And I think you know the answer, don't you? Just as I shared with the kids in the children's message. When this reality sinks in, then we begin to see how we can let go of self. This reality is simply that no matter how much you could ever care about yourself, you never will be able to care about yourself more than Jesus cares about you. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you chase the world's foolish advice to look out for number one and put self above all else. Jesus calls us to be a selfless church and he's the one that enables us to. He frees us from the concerns of self. Do you doubt that? Do you, do you wonder if Jesus actually cares about you more than you care about yourself? If that were not the case, then Jesus would not have been the one on the cross. He would have gladly said, nope, you take your rightful place up there and you pay for your sins. If it were not the case that, that Jesus cares about you more than you even care about yourself, Jesus would have said, all right, fine, you suffer the consequences and the condemnation for your sin that you have coming to you. If it wasn't the case that Jesus didn't care for you as much as he did, then he would have said, take your place, you go ahead and be willingly forsaken and abandoned by the Father instead of me. But the whole message of the cross, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus didn't. Jesus took all of that on himself for you. Don't ever doubt that he cares about you far more than you could ever care about yourself. And that frees us. It frees us from worry and concern of self. We can put down that burden instead of carrying with us everywhere to make sure that I'm taken care of, that my needs are met, that people notice me, that I'm acknowledged, that I'm not overlooked. Jesus says, I've got you covered. I care about you more than anyone ever could. You're free from that burden of carrying around worries of self. And what else does that mean for us? Again, as I mentioned in the, the children's message, if I don't have to carry around the weight, that burden of worrying about me, then I am also free to pick up the crosses that God places in my life. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily any easier to bear. They are challenges. That's by definition of, of the word cross. These are things that are difficulties and hardships in my life. But when I have my hands free from carrying around that burden, now I am free to focus on the crosses that God has placed into my life. And I can patiently bear that cross of sacrifice in a difficult marriage. 
I can bear that cross of dealing with a, a coworker and even taking on more of his or her work than I, I should have to, despite the fact that they demean and poke fun at me for my faith no matter what. And I can bear the cross of, even though I've made great progress, of still that lingering addiction that I struggle with. And I can bear the cross of a family member that is struggling with sexual identity and orientation. We can bear these crosses because we are free from the burden of self. And not only that, Jesus assures you that you don't have to bear those crosses alone. That he bears them with you and that he will provide the strength to bear up under those crosses. Look at the last question that, that Jesus asked in this account this morning. He said, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Well, you know the answer to that question. Nothing. There is nothing any one of us could give or offer to God in exchange for our soul. That would be our answer, but Jesus' answer is entirely different. What did Jesus give in exchange for a soul and not his soul, but for your soul and my soul? Absolutely everything. That's what Paul was getting at in Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he wrote, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus gave everything for you. Jesus is the only one who has perfectly denied self. Jesus is the only one who, who perfectly and literally gave up his life so that we could have eternal life. So dear friends, what are you afraid of when God calls his church to be selfless? A selfless church? Are you really worried that somebody else is going to overlook you or forget about you or that your needs and your wants are not going to be met? Rest assured, to that concern, Jesus says, nobody will ever care about you more than I do. So put down that lie that you have to look out for number one and enjoy the freedom of being the church that Christ has called us to be, a selfless church that knows because God has us covered, we are free to love and serve others before self. May God bless you as you seek to put that into practice through his grace. Amen. 